glad to see all of you. Glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. We are in part two of a sermon series that we're calling Life Under Construction. Maybe you've never thought of life in these terms, but each and every day we are participating in the building, the construction of a life, namely our own. And I'm not talking about in the sense of of building a life that's, you know, working towards retirement or or, uh, achieving great accomplishments that we can look back upon with pride in our hearts. No, I'm, I'm talking about a different kind of construction. Because unlike the sands that pass through an hourglass, the days of our lives are adding up to something. They're adding up to something that is one day going to be evaluated. So biblically speaking, it's not a question of whether we are building a life, but rather what kind of life are we building? And are we building a life that we will be pleased to show forth for evaluation? Jesus addressed uh, this question in a rather pointed way toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. That's where we're going to be today. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. Our ushers are coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one. If you do not presently own a Bible, please accept this one as a gift from us to you. We'd love for you to have it. Matthew 7, we're going to begin reading in verse 15. Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for this day and for the privilege that is ours to gather in your house, to worship and to lift up the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray now as we turn our attention to your written word, your Holy Spirit would come just as you promised to be our teacher and to guide us into all truth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen and amen. Well, one thing is for sure, upon reading this passage, Jesus is quite clear that we are not all building the same kind of life. In this day and age when uh, everybody gets a trophy just for showing up, it's not a particularly popular notion But the fact of the matter is, 
some lives are going to be approved and some are not. I don't know how else to interpret that. Jesus said, I tell you plainly. I think he was putting it out there as plain as he could. Not to scare us, that's certainly not his motivation, but rather to motivate us to examine ourselves, to ask, what kind of life am I building? What are the materials? What is the labor? What is the focal point? What is the blueprint? What sort of effort am I putting into the construction of a life that will one day be approved, that will one day be considered pleasing to the Lord Jesus? I am afraid that if given the opportunity to build our own home, some of us actually have had that opportunity, some of us may still yet, but if all of us were given the opportunity to build our own home, I fear that we would put more care, energy, time, resources, thought, sweat, tears, blood into the construction of a home than we would into the construction of our lives. Now granted, the construction of a home is a costly endeavor, probably the biggest expenditure investment that most of us will ever make. And so naturally, we're going to take great care in the whole process. We're going to make sure we have the right building site and a good architect with good blueprints, house plan. We're going to get the right contractor. We want the right materials. You know, we want it all to be just right because the stakes are high. We're spending a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of energy. I read just this week, though, that the average American spends uh, in any given home just 13 years. 13 years. We would give so much of ourselves, some of us do, give so much of ourselves for something that is going to last 13 years, but what amount of energy, what amount of time, what amount of focus, what amount of resources are brought to bear on that which will last all through eternity, the construction of our lives? Jesus addresses this and gives us guidance about how we can build a life that is ultimately pleasing to him. Our Lord is not one who makes or has expectations and then gives us no guidance. No, right here in this passage, Jesus reveals to us two key components to building a life that will one day be approved. What we believe and how we behave. What we believe and how we behave. The, the two are inextricably bound. Biblically speaking and just in life in general, you cannot divorce the two. Because our beliefs lead to behavior and behavior reinforces beliefs. It's not enough for us to believe all the right things but then live like the devil. Neither is it okay for us to believe whatever we want, but then trust that our good works will somehow serve us well 
in the afterlife. It doesn't work that way either. Now, Jesus helps us understand that building a life that is pleasing to him involves right belief, which leads to right behavior. And those are the two aspects of building a life that I want us to consider this morning. Jesus underscores the importance of right belief when he tells us, watch out for false prophets. Watch out, he says. It's a clear word of warning. It's an emphatic word. Watch out for false prophets because not every person who comes along claiming to be a prophet is in fact a prophet. In Jesus' day, in biblical times, prophets were supposed to be truth-tellers. They spoke on behalf of God to the people, to inform people of God's will for today and for the future. And if they were, in fact, the real thing, you could stake your life on what they were saying because it was God's word, God's truth. And to put your faith into God's word is a trustworthy act. But on the other hand, if they prove to be a false prophet, and that's where you put your faith, that's where you put your trust, things are not going to turn out so pretty. And they did not. You read the biblical account, especially in the Old Testament. A host of prophets came to the children of Israel. Some spoke the truth, and some did not. And the consequences followed. Are we heeding the words of Jesus today? Are we watching out for the false prophets? They're out there. Don't think for a minute they are not. Now, granted, they don't look like they did back in Jesus' day, but they're there. There are any number, a wide array of prophetic voices that are clamoring for our attention, that are trying to persuade us they have the truth. Do we have the ability to discern? Do we have the ability to determine whether or not they are speaking the truth? We live in the information age after all. Data coming at us all the time. More information coming our way than any generation in history. We are inundated with new bits of information every single day. Our grandparents just two generations back would be astonished at the amount of information that is at our fingertips, much of it claiming to be the truth. And a wide array of prophetic voices claiming to have the truth. The government and politicians claim to have the truth. The news media claims to have the truth. Academia claims to have the truth. The business world, the marketplace claims to have the truth. Religious institutions claim to have the truth. So-called experts and consultants supposedly have the truth. There's conventional wisdom and popular opinion and gossip and perhaps the most ubiquitous source of all social media relentlessly before us claiming to have the truth. Do we have the ability, do we have the skill, do we have the understanding to be able to parse out that which is true and that which is false? It matters. 
It matters for the life that we are building because the way we think translates into the way that we behave and the way that we behave reinforces what we believe. You can never divorce the two. Throughout the years, uh, a number of inventions have literally changed the course of history. I mean, turned it in a completely different direction. The wheel, the printing press, the telephone, the airplane, computers, and of course, these little babies right here. Johnny come lately, but I don't think we really understand the impact these are making on our lives. I, I think it will honestly be up to the historians years and years from now to look back on us and be able to evaluate, wow, that was the impact these little devices had upon people's lives, the way they think, the things they prioritize and value, and hence the behaviors that followed from that. This is a portal of information. Do we have the ability to deal with it. I mean, the things are absolutely everywhere. I haven't been to every country in the world, but I've been to a lot of them. And the one thing they all have in common is that people are walking around like this all of the time. Everywhere. If you had a penny, just a penny, for every hour that one of these things has engaged the human mind, you would be the richest person that ever lived, hands down. We have no understanding of the influence of these things. How are we to know what's true and what is false? It's coming at us all the time. We're subjecting ourselves to it all of the time. Do we have the capacity to know the difference between the two? In John 1717, Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for all of his followers in what is called his high priestly prayer. He prayed to the Father and he said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus was clarifying for us the nature of truth, the source of truth, the foundation of truth. It does not primarily come from this. It comes from this. This is the tool, the grid, the guide, the filter that God has given to us in order to decide what is true and what is false. But how many of us are actually using it in the way that it was intended? How many of us are subjecting the data and the decisions and the information coming our way to this filter? How many of us are using this tool? If on a daily basis uh, we were to do a little comparison, which one of these gets most of our attention? Uh, it's a rhetorical question because I know the answer. I also know that cell phones aren't going anywhere. 
And I'm not down on cell phone. I mean, this is mine. I own one. There's nothing inherently evil about this thing. It's, it's rubber and plastic and metal. Nothing evil about a cell phone. It's how we use it and what we subject our minds to that render it evil. I have a friend who became very convicted over the distance between his cell phone usage and his reading of God's word, his exposure to God's word. And so he decided to do something about it. He didn't throw his cell phone away, but he changed the way he uses it. He used to get up every morning and immediately turn to his cell phone and look to see what's the news, what are the stocks, social media, this app, that app, so on and so forth, email, texts. Now, and he's been doing this for a little over a year, every day, when he wakes up, he puts his feet on the floor, he picks up his cell phone, and he opens his Bible app, and every day he reads one chapter from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he's making his way through the Gospels over and over and over and over. And he shared with me a while back, he said, Dan, um, I'm, I'm benefiting from the drenching that I'm getting from God's Word. It sets the tone for the day. He said, you'd be amazed at how many times events that occur later in the day have already been spoken to first thing in the day by God's word. It's as though he was preparing me for what was coming. I'm not suggesting to you that you go home and throw these things away. You probably paid a lot of money for it. You probably still are paying a lot of money for it. But I am strongly suggesting to you that you redeem it, that you begin to use it for purposes that will help you build a life that will be pleasing to Jesus. That's how we ought to treat everything that comes into our lives, not just cell phones. Everything ought to be redeemed for the purpose of building a life that will one day be pleasing to him. That's what we're working toward. And that's why I am calling upon us. And I use the word us intentionally. I'm including myself. I'm just as susceptible to waste time on that stupid thing as anybody. I'm calling us to recommit ourselves to a steady diet of God's word. And you can use this to do it. There are all kind of Bible apps that you can download. The Faith Bridge app has a daily Bible reading plan built into it using the SOAP devotional method. Pastor Ken has told us so much about. You've got it right at your fingertips 24-7. Most of us don't have one of these stuck in our purse or our back pocket, but we have one of these. And we can make it a tool, we can make it one more thing that we're using to build a life that will be pleasing to Jesus. Because what we expose our minds to, what we choose to believe, matters. 
It matters because Jesus says it ultimately impacts our behavior. He's not only concerned with what we're thinking about, what we're believing, what we put our faith in, he's also very concerned about the way we're behaving, about how we're treating other human beings, about what's going on in our mind and in our hearts about the sort of person that we are becoming. And make no mistake, we are in the process of becoming someone. Our lives are not a series of disconnected events that have nothing to do with each other. No, there's a cumulative effect that is ultimately moving toward a destination, a final construction of something. And our behavior is a part of that process. What's impacting your behavior? Jesus said, the people will be, uh, who will be approved are the people who do the will of his Father. That's what we read just a moment ago. I'll be looking for the ones who have done the will of my Father. Well, how do we determine what the will of the Father is? Through Jesus. The reason Jesus came was to show us the Father. Jesus came in order to connect us to the Father, to facilitate a relationship with the Father, to demonstrate to us that the Father wants to have a relationship with us. And it's as we grow in our relationship with Jesus that our understanding of the Father increases and our desire to please Him and live for Him increases. It begins with belief, belief in Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. It begins with what we believe. And if our faith is squarely in the person of Jesus, in a personal relationship with him, and we're growing daily in that relationship with him, the behavior will follow. I'm not sure, though, that we fully appreciate, understand um, the power that information and our culture have over our lives and how every single day, in ways both big and small, beliefs are impacting our behaviors. Our culture says um, it's the individual that counts, that's what matters. What's best for me is best, and I need to look out for number one, and I'm going to do whatever I have to take or whatever I have to do and take whatever steps I have to take in order to look after me, to build my kingdom, to build my empire. But the Word of God says that Christians are a part of the body of Christ and that we belong to each other. And that no one part of the body is any more important than the other. And we are to therefore serve and care for one another, forgetting ourselves and serve one another. Whichever one of those you choose to believe is going to impact your behavior, I can promise. Our culture puts a high premium, a high value on the pursuit of wealth and possessions. It's an indicator of success, of your value as a human being if you have obtained great wealth and many possessions. 
But the word of God says, be careful about desiring money too much. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's a snare. It has destroyed many lives. The Bible never says that money is evil any more than it says cell phones are evil. But it has the capacity to bring about great evil when it becomes our God. Whichever one of those you choose to believe is going to impact your behavior. Our culture says, my body is my own. I can do with it whatever I please. I can put into it whatever I want to put into it. I can use it sexually however I choose to use it. If I find myself with an inconvenient pregnancy, I can abort that unborn child. It's my body. I get to choose. But the Word of God says that our bodies are not our own. They were purchased at a great price. And we are to honor God with our bodies. Whichever one of those you choose to believe is going to have a tremendous impact on your behavior. I can tell you from personal experience how belief impacts behavior. I absorbed from the culture that I grew up in the notion that because I was white, I was superior. The fact that my skin was white and not black and not brown, but white, made me better than those who were not white skin. Now, I never heard anyone articulate just those words, but they didn't have to. It was sort of in the air, in the values, in the priorities in the decisions, in the laws that were passed, in the way that I saw adults who claimed to be Christian behave as a child and as a teenager, I looked rather uncritically at those behaviors and those values and I adopted them for my own. I did not stop to think, what does God's word have to say about this? And as a result that belief began to impact my behavior. I separated myself from people of color. I had prejudicial attitudes about their character, their work ethic, their value as human beings. I used insulting, derogatory, hurtful language about them. My beliefs were impacting my behavior. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I slowly became aware of a disparity between what my culture had taught me and what the Word of God had to say. And while I wish I could tell you that I had a road to Damascus moment where suddenly I understood it all and suddenly my life was changed, that wasn't the case. No, it was a slow process. The Holy Spirit 
doing heart surgery on me over a period of years, opening my eyes and my heart to the truth. Teaching me, as Genesis chapter 1 says, that all persons, male, female, white, brown, black, whatever, all persons are created in the image of God and are therefore of infinite worth and value, period. Who was I to think that I was somehow superior? He began to teach me through Galatians chapter 3 that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, free nor slave, but in Christ we are all one. Skin color, socioeconomic standing, and any other human construct you want to put on it has nothing to do with it. In Christ we are one. He showed me in 1 John chapter 2 that the one who hates his brother walks in darkness. And I was in darkness. But thanks be to God. By his mercy and by his grace, I slowly began to step from darkness into the light. And while I am not so naive as to think that every single vestige of racism has been purged from my heart, I know that I am not the man that I was 30 years ago. Why? Because I chose to believe what God had to say over what my culture had to say. And my behavior began to change. And as a result, today, I have precious fellowship all over the globe with men and women of every color that exists on God's green earth. Why? It was a choice. It was a choice that was graciously empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. It was a choice to believe what God had to say over what the world had to say. And that belief led to a change in behavior. And I have to think in a crowd this size, some of you hearing my voice are already right now thinking about that thing in your life. That thing, maybe I haven't even mentioned it this morning, maybe I have, but it's that thing that you're being confronted and God is asking you, which way is it going to go? What are you going to choose to believe? Are you going to believe what the world says or are you going to believe what I say? Don't be fooled, my friends. Scripture says God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And if you are sowing unto the world, you're going to build unto the world and that will not be approved. But if you choose to submit yourself to the word of God, to the truth, and you begin to change your behavior and you begin to live in the light of what God has revealed, you're building something that not only will be approved, but is going to last throughout all of eternity. God willing, all of us here today still have some time left to work on what we're building. Because all of us have some rooms that need to be renovated. Some need to be just slapped, torn down and done away with. 
but I'm not afraid, and you don't have to be either. Why? Because we've been given a blueprint that is true. And the master builder is not going to give up on us until, as the book of Colossians says, until he can present us to the Father holy, unblemished, and without accusation. That sounds like approval to me. Amen? Let's pray for that right now. Father, we confess to you that far, far too often, we blindly accept what comes our way. We fail to stop and think and evaluate and ask, is this in keeping with your truth? Does this reflect who you are? Or am I simply choosing to do what I want to do? Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us of that foolishness. Set us free from falsehood. And place deep, deep within us a renewed hunger and thirst for truth. For you. So that what we're building day after day after day will be something that we can present to you and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen.